we're going to try to have an authentic conversation, even though we just had our whole conversation not taped. Can you believe it? Silly technical support. Starting over. <laughs> Starting over. <laughs> this is Miranda from ZinniMe.com, and I'm here today uh, interviewing the fabulous Katie Gerwell about her story of becoming a therapist. If you want to learn more about Katie, you can go to K-A-T-I-E-G-U-R-W-E-L-L.com. Um, I'll also post below on the webpage um, for this uh, video blog and podcast uh, on the website. And we'll go from there. Thanks, Katie, for being here. Thank you for having me again. And for, and for dealing. I know, it's like a second interview. We've already invited her back, even though she's been here for the last 40 minutes. Um, so, thanks. For hanging out with the technical <laughs> So I'm going to ask you completely different. No, I'm going to ask you the basic same questions. Uh, so tell us about, or tell them about, I already know now. Now I know more of Katie's story. <laughs> tell us about uh, when you knew that you um, wanted to become a therapist. Yeah, it took me a little while um, to know, but I was kind of in my 20s and stuck in kind of dead-end service jobs mm. um, and just really thinking like, okay, I need a career, mm. but what is that? Mm -hmm. um, and I'd really gotten the message um, from the adults in my life when I was going to college and, you know, like, do something realistic or marketable or whatever and do what you like on the weekends, mm -hmm. but that just wasn't in me to do that. So I ended up getting an undergrad degree in German language and literature. And you really can't do a whole lot with that. <laughs> you really can't. Um, you can. You speak German. Yeah, that's great. But, you know, it's not like Spanish. You know, like most Germans speak better English than I do. So, <laughs> you know. It's not the best. Yeah, it's not real needed. not a native English speaker corrects my grammar regularly. <laughs> I just feel like mm, pay more attention. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, I'd like worked at Starbucks and as an administrative assistant and things like that. But so I started thinking like, okay, what what do I want to do? And it was a, a toss-up between being a therapist and um, being a school teacher. And I was really thinking, I think of both because I'm just really interested in people, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I did some, you know, I did like about five years of kind of wondering what I should do, looked mm -hmm. into being a Waldorf teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and then I worked as a nanny because I'd worked as an au pair in Germany. Mm -hmm. And the family that I worked for here uh, that I got the job with, the mom is a psychoanalyst. Yeah. I love that. I, I love, love that. Part. I love that part. So, and that was just a happy coincidence. Mm -hmm. um, so I really got mentored by her mm -hmm. and got to see, she like she's somebody who gets things published regularly, at least back then she did. Mm -hmm. So I got to read her psychoanalytic papers and just talk with her and, um, and really got kind of her saying, yeah, you can do this which was really helpful. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's awesome. Do you want to give her a shout out? Yeah, yeah. So her <laughs> name is uh, Margaret Krasnipal. And um, I was telling you before, like, I don't think she even has a website. I'm not sure she's ever really needed one because she's a big name yeah. in the psychoanalytic field. She established herself before that was needed as yeah. a way to get started. I know I have um, therapists that I know um, who, do, who, again, don't need a website. There's no reason to to get one. Mm -hmm. But for our, those of us starting out, <laughs> it's a whole new world. It's a whole new and world. establishing yourself. It's yeah. not that, you know, I think before it was about getting published in journals or, you know, there was mm -hmm. like certain steps that you took. And now, for good or for bad, like there's kind of other ways. There's lots of different paths to becoming known um, in the world. And yeah, like I it. like that. I really like that. So that's kind of how I got the courage. And I took, like, I took prerequisite classes at Antioch for, uh, to do them and kind of started realizing, like, oh, yeah, like, those, that was also a test. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah, I do like thinking in this way and, you know, mm -hmm. went through that. Because are you saying your German undergrad didn't prepare you for uh, <laughs> with all your prereqs? <laughs> you know what? Actually, that was the first place where I really started thinking psychologically mm. because you're reading literature and it's very psychological. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more work than just reading it in English because you have to like try to figure out what the heck they're saying. <laughs> well, and the, the idea of, um, so there's translating, which is where you just take word for word what somebody says, and then there's yeah. the idea of interpreting, yeah. where you take what someone is saying and then you convey the same meaning. So you had all this experience interpreting, which is what we do in psychotherapy, right? Someone yeah. is saying this, but their body's doing this, and I'm interacting with you in this way and giving this tone. So you have to interpret all of these different pieces of language and then come up with a response. And yeah, I mean, I mean, from that perspective, great preparation. It was really good preparation, but it did yet, yeah, but it didn't get me like the ready, courses, the courses that I needed. <laughs> the fancy courses. Yeah, and I wasn't somebody who was interested in the the undergrad psychology stuff. That's like about. Um, uh, animal behavior and things oh. like that like because that didn't you yeah. know I was interested in psychology but people uh, you know and like what's this stuff so mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to have to go through that yeah so I thought it just was not interesting to me at all and I, I'm not the kind of person that can do a whole lot of things that I'm not into <laughs> I'm kind of stubborn that way so um so yeah okay yeah so how did you choose your final grad school? Um, so like I said, I did the prerequisites at Antioch and I kind of figured I was I was going to go there. And then I started hearing about um, LEOS, which is a local school and it's um, LEOS is short for the Leadership Institute of Seattle. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who worked, she was an art therapist, worked at a psych hospital and she said, you know, the best therapist there go to, went to the school Leo's mm. and I thought what is this some kind of astrology and I got some discouragement about going there because it wasn't mm. a prestigious school you know Antioch is more prestigious because they have schools around the country and things like that mm -hmm. but just started kind of learning more and more that and like I looked into the deep dub social work program, but really like you look at the courses and it's all about policy and yep. it's not a le about learning how to be a clinician so much. Yeah. Um, and I was not, again, not interested in that. Like I didn't want to have to take some 
silly path. Yeah, and so what I kept like hearing was like, if you want to be an effective therapist, this is the place to go. Um, and it wasn't about like you didn't have to take a GRE, and it wasn't about academics, but it was really about being an effective therapist, and that's what I was really wanting. Fantastic. Well, and you were yeah. telling me about the the process groups that you guys were a part of. I mean, there, there yeah. was a whole different kind of a vibe of that. It was all about learning how to be with yes. yourself and with in, in, interpersonally. Yeah, their their whole thing is like to develop the self of the practitioner, mm-hmm. and um, we did process groups and they called it I group, which was short for integrated group. Mm-hmm. to kind of integrate all the interpersonal skills that you were learning. And it was a here and now group. Mm-hmm. So you talk about what's going on here and now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, plenty of stuff comes up. You get people in a group and you just, everybody starts putting their family members' masks on everybody else's faces. So it's pretty yeah. interesting. And um, yeah, it was very powerful. And the big thing that I... One of the big things I loved about it was learning to give and receive feedback mm. to my colleagues or to my classmates. We had to do that. Mm. Um, we got evaluated by the staff on how, how we gave feedback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, learning how to receive feedback and make use of it instead of just going to shame or just deflecting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the second year, at the end of the year, your classmates' feedback or your, their assessments of you, because we would assess, assess each other, mm-hmm. um, was like 50% of whether you achieved competency. So Whether you could graduate. Whether you could graduate. <laughs> yeah, if your peers didn't think that you were competent, mm. you know, it, wasn't, it wouldn't look good. Yeah. So. Were there, were there people that didn't pass their competency because of the feedback? Or do you think that the program did a pretty good job of helping people to, like, by the time that you got to the second year, you had, like, worked through the stuff so that you could get? Um, it was really rare. I think there was one person in our class where they said, like, you need to come back and do the second year again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you're just getting feedback from the get-go from day one. Yeah. So they're pretty good at, like, Getting people, but it does happen where you know they say like, okay, you're not, you're not there, mm-hmm. you know. Which I, that sounds really, really hard to get to the second year, the end of the second year, and have somebody say that. But, but I appreciate it as yeah. a practitioner. Yeah. As a, I know that that was one of the things in our graduate program that like we talked extensively about was that there was no, it was kind of like pass the buck, you know. So like you, like the faculty would know that someone was really struggling and they were not ready, but they didn't have a way to give feedback that even felt like it wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't open them up to liability kind of thing to give someone feedback that's not related to coursework. Like mm-hmm. how do you do that? And right. how do you relate interpersonal stuff to coursework when that's not how the academic programs work? And then it was like, right. well, if you get to the clinical supervisor, and the supervisors are like, well, it's not really necessarily my space to say absolutely not, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that I've had the experience of, of supervising someone and finally saying, like, I, I won't supervise this person anymore. Um, I, they're, they're not taking feedback, and, mm-hmm. and it's not beneficial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
But, mm-hmm. you know, is that going to keep that person from becoming a therapist? Like, probably not. <laughs> They'll yeah. continue going down the path, and no one's ever contacted me that supervised that person to check in and say, hey, what was your experience? I mean, mm-hmm. they just, people just keep, eventually, if you're determined, you will go down the path, whether you're, you know. Yeah, it's a little worrisome. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> it's a little crazy. All right, awesome. So, yeah. um, how long after you got done with grad school did it take before you started private practice? Um, I started, I think it was, it took me a while. It took me like three years to kind of get the, get the courage to kind of do that. I did, I worked, I did some school-based counseling for an agency and worked at a psych hospital. Um, and then I started I started renting an office like hourly from a friend, mm-hmm. so that's just how I started. And then I, you know, I had like maybe two clients, and just kind of slowly, slowly built. And um, it was, yeah, it was a slow burn. So like I, I worked up to while well, I was still working full time, worked up to a full day a week, mm-hmm. and like got seniority in my job where I was at so that I could actually like have a day off in the middle of the week mm-hmm. um, and see clients and that got full yeah. and that was pretty fast like that filled up and then I was like oh my gosh I need another day so then I added Saturdays mm-hmm. um, and I'm jumping a few years here because yeah. there was a while where I was like working full-time and then working two evenings a week mm-hmm. um, seeing, seeing clients at like 6 30 and 7 30 mm-hmm. um, and, and amazingly being energized after my sessions, which is like a really great sign. Because yeah. yes. I'd be like so tired after work and be like, how am I going to do this, you know? And then you get there. And... Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so then I was working full time and seeing clients on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And um, at some point I was just like, I, <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> I wasn't loving my job either, but also it's just that, like, really, I'm a therapist, and, you know, what I was doing was using my clinical skills, but it wasn't doing therapy. So, um, I kind of made the leap, and I was lucky to get contracted with an insurance company, Mm -hmm. um, and that pretty much filled up my practice, like, within a month. Wow. It was really, really lucky, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of... A trap also. <laughs> ah, tell us more. Well, so I had like, I would had a fair, you know, it was all private pay clients mm-hmm. before I left my job and got contracted with this one insurance company. Mm-hmm. And some were full pay and some were reduced fee and probably a fair amount of reduced fee, mm-hmm. um, which was okay by me because I had my salary. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and so then my practice got filled up with all these insurance clients and I was seeing, before I really learned how to pace myself, taking people on, mm-hmm. um, I, I like got too many clients. So there was like a year there and the and former clients came back, you know, so there was about a year there where like I was full, I wasn't taking any new clients and I was seeing like probably one client more a day than I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, but yeah, but not doing great financially either because the insurance was paying like, you know, maybe 75% of my full rate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but but they were also like 70% of my business. Mm. So not enough diversification mm -hmm. going on with that. So mm -hmm. And so then you're like in that place like, okay, I'm really busy. I don't have time to make a change. Yeah. But I'm not where I need to be financially, so now I'm stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And also I didn't do some smart things <laughs> in the beginning like really um working with a cpa to be really really clear about like how much to put away for taxes mm -hmm. i wasn't clear about um self-employment tax um which is double basically you know regular yeah. tax um you guys hear that it's a big deal yeah it's a really <laughs> big deal so like i'm making payments on some past years mm -hmm. um and the irs is actually really kind actually if you yeah. work with them they're actually really very good. Yes. But um, so I, in those first years, I was working really hard, and but I wasn't putting hardly anything away for taxes. Mm -hmm. um, and I was actually living okay, but really I was living off of money that wasn't mine. Mm. So then when I got more clear about that, then, you know, it's like, oh man, like this is not a juicy living. <laughs> you know? <No. laughs> Maybe you're not even a comfortable living. Like. Exactly. You know, like if I'm really paying my taxes, it's not. This isn't comfortable. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got clear. Like, okay, I need to be like shifting the the proportion here, and I need to have less insurance clients. Besides, mm -hmm. just the whole thing about what insurance, how insurance like um, diminishes the scope of what you can really do with people in a lot.